listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 102 of the Testudo Times Podcast. It's weird to say that this podcast is now in triple digits for this show. That's just a weird thing to say. I'll get used to it eventually, like I'll get used to saying 2018, uh, where we can announce that whoever won Best Picture for the Golden Globes, which I should have paid attention, I was in Los Angeles during all that, uh, lost out to Bruno Fernando's dunk, which came right in at the last minute and hijacked everything. And it was great, Thomas. Wasn't it amazing? That was, I mean, in the three years that I've been at Maryland, that's the best dunk I've seen in that building. It takes the top spot from the OG Ananobi dunk last year on DeMonte. Oh, yeah. That um, was at the end of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, that was right at the end of the game. It ended up not mattering, but it did make it like a one-point game at the time. Mm. Um, this game was already over, but like after that dunk, a guy's life was over. It, it was that kind of – I've – Bruno came so close to that dunk so many times. We, we and said he, on the podcast, he did it. it was a matter of time before he ended someone's life doing that. And it was such and then he an did. amazing I mean, dunk. And was... the poor kid, Nicholas Bear was a great, he seemed like a great guy. I mean, I, I, I called him. his name for the sake of his family and his career, but you did that. So. I mean, yeah, well. Uh, Maryland you know, and Iowa we might have as well an remember. interesting history in basketball for what it's worth, so. I'm not sure there's much remorse for Maryland fans over that. If there was any team that no, could happen to it, I don't think they minded too much that it was Iowa. And it's weird because a bunch of Iowa fans are, you know, the entire Iowa fan on the internet section world was like, A, really pissed at the refs for whatever, and B, they didn't like Bruno for whatever he did on that technical. Uh-huh. Um, well, so I that can was... understand that, but still, I mean. Yeah. It, I can understand because we've been on that before, but that was when Maryland was in the ACC. I've this is the first time I can remember Maryland being on the right side of some other group of fans saying, "What the hell were the officials doing?" Yeah, I mean Penn State. I mean Penn State's coach basically said it, and that was just because of the free throw disparity. But like well, Penn, State Penn State didn't State get to the rim well in that game. Play better basketball, and we'll get to that in a second. I mean Penn State didn't get to the rim in that game. And that's amazing, considering Maryland has two bigs. Anyway, we'll, we'll, let's talk about that in just a second. We should first uh, mention there's somebody else on the show. Jared Goldstein's back on the show for the first time in what feels like three months, because it probably has been three months. Jared, it's good to hear your voice again. Great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Oh, we wanted to have you back. It's been too long. And I have to say, I don't go telling you how, I, how we all watch games, but I was watching that on a computer in a house in Los Angeles because I was on vacation. Everybody else is watching the Golden Globes, and I thought I was going to ruin everyone's eardrums when that Bruno Fernando dunk went in. I had to, I had to contain myself because it was one of those, like, did I just see that? Even though I knew that Bruno Fernando was going to hit one of those at some point, and then he did. And is that the most Twitter activity your account's ever had before with the people liking and retweeting that gif? You know, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm not sure. Uh, I've had a few. Your excessive juice gifts did better. Yeah. Oh, that's right. The uh, the from the Minnesota game, the excessive juice gif of whoever it was hitting whoever was, the other person was yeah. on the head with the excessive juice sign did better. I can uh, see that. 
the Kasim Hill rushing for a touchdown in the Texas game, that one was really big too. I don't know. It's just fun. Like, it's fun, you know, being the person like who's making the gifts when something cool like that happens because you're the one who immortalizes it on the internet. Yeah. Like it gets, it gets what I wish I could do is find something that would let me get the audio too. Cause that would be really cool. Um, we could talk about this after the show and ways to do that. I have some ideas for yeah. help you out there, but, uh, we'll get to that at another point. You don't need to hear about how you can make gifts and how you get video from live television on your computer. Let's not worry about that right now. Let's actually talk about the games because these first three games of the meat of Big Ten play, Thomas, were two pretty good home games sandwiched by the best shooting performance I think I've ever seen against the Maryland team in a very long time. So we should start with the good because that'll make us happier and feel better about ourselves. The two games at home against Penn State and Iowa, they're both not very good teams, but Maryland in their own way was impressive in those games and largely to me focusing on those games it was Bruno Fernando and Michael Tchaikovsky not getting in foul trouble which happened against Michigan State and eventually killed them and I don't want to boil this season down to if Bruno and Checo get into foul trouble Maryland screwed but that's kind of how you're going to have to view this because when they're on the floor at least one of them is Maryland's an entirely different team and it was obvious when the injuries came down that that was going to be the case. But then you see it on the floor in Big Ten play, and it becomes so much more obvious. Yeah, and, you know, Iowa is pretty big. But when Maryland had its two guys up front, um, Maryland had, I think, 56 points in the paint. And against Penn State, they were able to dominate in the same way. Penn State's just not that big a team, wasn't able to foul them out. And... Michigan State, on the other hand, is Michigan was State. because Michigan, yeah, I mean, is Michigan State and is just such a bad matchup for this version of Maryland that's down two power forwards, mm-hmm. um, because Michigan State's small forward is, you know, kind of the same size and a lot of the same skill set as Justin Jackson, who was playing a lot of four, and you know, it, it's. When a six eleven guy is, you know, drains five threes or something, there's not a ton you can do. Um, and that's, and then when you have two guys foul out, no one's going to stop Nick Ward. So that's, so that's how that went down. And yeah, I mean, those guys. Bruno had two fantastic games. He had his first career double double against Penn State. He had a career high, twenty one against Iowa with like twenty five dunks. It's funny so. that you say that because after watching the Penn State game, I said immediately that was the best game of Bruno Fernando's career. And then I came away after watching the Iowa game saying that was the best game of Bruno Fernando's career. And you get the feeling that in matchups like this, we're going to be saying a lot more that was the best game of Bruno Fernando's career. I think we're going to have three or four more games this year where we say that. I would expect a lot of them to be at home as opposed to on the road where teams are probably going to be able to D up on them better. And... I think you think that it's the we don't quite know yet all of Bruno Fernando's game and Big Ten teams don't really have the tape, but now they kind of do because not every team's going to be able to defend him like Michigan State did. Uh, but even then, like the the game he's developing, he is Maryland's most important player now. I mean, Anthony Cowan and Kevin Herter can 
have off games. But if Bruno Fernando's in foul trouble, Maryland's in big trouble without really doing anything. Because the first 15 minutes of that Michigan State game, they were shooting with Michigan, with, with Spartans, I should say. And they kept that close for a while, much longer than they probably should have. And when you look back at the final score and see that they lost by 30, you could go back and watch the first 15 minutes of that game and think, Wait, how the heck did this happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, like, I mean, I think you're right that, you know, we'll probably say that a few more times about Fernando, you know, the rest of the season. Um, I, I think that, you know, I guess it's fortunate and unfortunate you know, on a selfish level that he's probably, you know, playing his way out of our presence for next year. Um, if he keeps having games like this. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if either one of Tchaikovsky and Fernando or, or Bruno picks up, you know, more than two fouls before halftime, it's like an automatic, it feels like an almost, almost like an automatic loss for Maryland. They can't, you know, they can't protect the the rim at all at that point, you know, with one of those two guys gone. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I know you say you didn't really want to boil it down to that, but, you know, that really kind of is what it's going to have to to boil down to. Anthony Cowan can score, you know, 20 points or whatever, like he did in the Michigan State game. And Kevin Herter can have, you know, whatever, 15 points by halftime. And it's not really going to matter because, you know, the other team is, you know, just gonna be able to go right down in the post, and you know you can't really have Sean Obi and Joshua Tomajich being your center. Like that's not gonna work. So, you know, it really is up to those two guys right now. And I think Thomas, what's most impressive is that in these games in which Maryland has now had to go with Fernando and Chakovsky because they have no choice, two of the three games they have not gotten into foul trouble. And I like Maryland's chances in the Big Ten if every two out of three games we're not going to be saying, oh, crap, they have two fouls the first ten minutes and a half. Maryland's screwed. Agreed. Um, a point you made earlier uh, about Fernando being the most important player, I'd still say that's Cowan just because there's absolutely no backup to him. You know, he's playing 38 minutes a night, playing 40 minutes, you know, half the games. And the reason why I he, say they, that is... He can, have, he can have an off night. Um, but they do need him on the floor. Yeah, they do. I, I will. However, the thing, but, the reason why I say that, and it's not to disparage Anthony Cowan in any way, because he's been really, really good in all these games, but it's more of a quiet good as opposed to Bruno Fernando, who's always been flashy good. You know, with Cowan, like, as, as Jared said, 26 points against Michigan State, but just the most pyrrhic 26 points you're ever going to see because it's just he can't do it all. And also, that game was two days after Maryland had played Penn State and they're just coming off all that injury nonsense, that was never an easy situation for them. Michigan State was coming off playing Savannah State, I think it was, or something. They were in a better position than Maryland was in that game. But Fernando, the way he plays, we talked about it before when he came off the bench and he provided this spark. Now he's got to do it when he starts and he has to be so much more defensively disciplined and he has been getting better at that. And... To Jared's point, NBA scouts are going to be watching now, and Maryland's going to be playing a lot of big games against good teams down the stretch in the Big Ten. And plenty of people are going to be watching to see if Bruno Fernando can continue to play like this. And except for the games that will get into foul trouble, and there are going to be instances where that happens, I can't see any reason to think why he's not going to continue to put in games like he's been putting in recently. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, we've seen him get a little bit better all season. He's still getting healthier. You know, he had, you know, the little injury problem before the season and then in December um, when it didn't really matter that much. Um, and, and so, yeah, he kind of is at, at least the X factor because the difference between having two reliable players and three reliable players is huge. Um, and, you know, he's the best. He's got he's got by far the best chance of becoming the third guy. Mm-hmm. And Jared, there are some other players who I think have been getting a little bit better as these games have gone on. Uh, certainly, I think Sunday against Iowa was one of the better Daryl Morcel games we saw in the interesting position in which he plays. I texted Thomas during I think it was the Penn State games like Daryl Morcel has trouble shooting, and he never responded. But I, I'm sure Thomas was thinking that in his head. Can't remember what game it was in, but. He started to play a little bit better of late, and I and for all of the hand wringing about Maryland has no backup at center and at power four, which is true. Joshua Tamayich is starting to put in decent-ish minutes. I wish Maryland had more games against teams like Iowa, but they don't, so that Tamayich could get bedded into the team a little bit more and does not have to play trial by fire minutes. But those two players are starting to play a little bit better, and if Maryland is going to be any level successful. Of course, the, their three best players need to be their three best players, but they need help from guys like Marcel and Tamayich, and both of them are improving considerably, and they still have a ways to go, of course, but their improvement is needed for this team to take the next step and to start winning games in situations where you're not playing Penn State and Iowa at home. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, gosh, I don't remember who I was talking to the other day. might have just been my buddies you know, on my couch here, but... Um, Josh Tomajic played great in the Iowa game. You know, it's, you might not have, you know, a career high in any, you know, specific category or anything, but the minutes he was able to provide, you know, to give so-and-so a breather, um, you know, whoever he was coming in for at the time was, you know, they were invaluable. Um, and, and, you know, you can't really have, like we were talking about, you can't really have, Checo and Bruno in foul trouble, but you also can't have them play like all game. So, you know, you need someone to come in and just not have like a horrible five minute stretch. And, you know, if Tomayich is that guy at, I don't know, is he, he's what listed at six foot 10, maybe generously um, or six, nine. He has a over uh, seven foot wingspan. And you yeah, he's got a big that. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's like you 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 need someone like that who can give you some minutes, just you know, so so the guys can take a break for a minute, you know, because it's it's tough in the Big Ten banging down low down there. So you know, you get someone like that, that's huge. And and like you said, Daryl Morcel, you know, just kind of progressing as the season goes along, you know, is, is huge. Also, he's always going to provide that kind of, uh, you know, strong, tough guard, you know, he'll play great defense and, you know, he'll take the ball down low and score at the rim. If he can consistently, he doesn't even have to shoot threes. If he can consistently hit mid-range jump shots, uh, I think that he could turn into a really dangerous player. But he's got to be able to, you know, make those shots on a consistent basis, you know, to really, you know, pick up or add that part of the game. It was interesting because 
as I mentioned before, during one of the games, I think it was Penn State, and just watching Daryl Morsell shoot, you're like, wow, um, what, what, what's going on here? And then he has a game like he did against Iowa where he played a lot better and was much more assertive. And it's important because Maryland, you know you're going to get scoring from Anthony Cowan every game. You're going to get scoring from Kevin Herter in most every game. You're probably going to get Bruno Fernando chipping in double digits, but you need scoring from somewhere else, and Morcel's the best option. And he's starting to play better, Thomas. And, you know, I don't know what the final version of Daryl Morcel at Maryland's going to look like, but we're seeing a better version of him slowly starting to grow. And, again, whether it's this year or next year, because Morcel is a player that's going to be around Maryland for a while, the better version of him is a player that is going to be invaluable. And he's been thrust into a role that I know Mark Turgeon didn't want to put him in immediately, but injuries have forced his hand. Well, I think the final version of uh, Daryl Morcel is basically this version with a jump shot. Um, Morcel has impressed me in pretty much every other like aspect of his game. Um, he's a good rebounding guard. He'll, I mean, he'll probably get better as like a ball handler and such. Um, as as time goes on um and he just gets more reps doing it but yeah no i mean the the lineups that they run out with you know their starting lineup right now is you know cowan Marcel, herder Tchaikovsky, fernando and that's two guys who can shoot you know it's a third if bruno fernando gets basically just dunks all day well yeah i mean but that's the thing is that when a lot, the ball for most of their possession is outside the three-point line. And when it's not Cowan or Herter touching it, you know that he's, they're not going to shoot it. And so that it's, it's, a little t- it's a little tougher to run the offense that way. When Marcel you know, gets to, to whatever the next level is with his jumpers, um, then, I mean, he'll be that much more of a weapon. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. It's probably too much for to expect for that to happen this year. Um, you know, he'll have time to do that. But He'll be back with, next year. Yeah, I mean, he is about as valuable as a guard who can't shoot jumpers is. Like, that, what a sentence you just said there. I love it. Yeah. Like, I know what you he's, mean, but yeah. still, that came out as a weird sentence. <laughs> he's about as valuable as you can be without having – you know, a jump shot as a weapon. It's a good point. So let's talk now about the next two games for Maryland, because while they aren't their toughest games of the season, I could start to think that it might be their most important games of the season. I haven't been taking a look at bracketology, but right now I'm assuming Maryland's probably on the wrong side of the bubble because they just haven't beaten anybody outside of Butler. Uh, Their next two games are at Ohio State on Thursday, which we thought coming into the season, all right, Maryland's going to destroy them. Ohio State's tire fire. (laughs) <laughs> Boy, that's the only positive surprise at Big Ten basketball this year is Ohio State. And uh, nobody on Maryland could guard Kata Bates' job. That would have been Justin Jackson's job, and he's sadly injured. So that's going to be a fun thing to watch on Thursday night. And the next Monday on Martin Luther King Day, Maryland goes to Michigan, a team that is so like it in many ways as we sit here watching Purdue play Michigan right now. And kind of I look at this game and I think, all right, I, I see a similar team to Maryland in Michigan in many ways. So, Thomas, in these two games, they're games against teams that are at Maryland's level on the road, and Maryland is not the best road team. At home, they can beat anybody. This has been well proven. But on the road, they are inconsistent. Sometimes they'll give you good performances. Other times they'll blow 20-point second-half leads against Illinois. So, 
do you agree with the sentiment that these games are kind of defining for Maryland season? If, if they can sweep them, then suddenly they have proven themselves to be able to beat that caliber of team on the road in the Big Ten, and that sets you up as a tournament team. And if not, then NIT? Or maybe I'm doing too presumptuous. Um, I think it would be a little too soon to, uh, you know, just decide NIT uh, if they lose both. Some people would. Well, yes. But let's suppose that we had to be rational. Um, And I I think a split is a pretty decent result. And I think that's what you should expect. And if they sweep... Uh, those two teams on the road, then that's, you know, an absolute plus. They'll be five and two in conference play um, with wins over two teams, you know, with right with five wins against tournament. teams that are not. Yeah. Who I think. Yeah, there there's this clump of Big Ten teams, um, about half of which might make the tournament. And Maryland's in it. Ohio State's in it. Michigan's in it. Um couple other teams i think and so you know as as many games as you can win against those teams the better and maryland does not get a second game against ohio state they do get a second game against michigan at xfinity center but i don't know jared when i I look at this game i think of kata bates geop and that was a player that maryland was able to contain in past years because they had the matchups for him they do not on thursday so that is going to be fascinating to see how mark turgeon and company scheme to defend a player who had a, one of the craziest games of the season against Michigan State, in which Ohio State totally destroyed them. Uh, it was interesting when I when you watch this game against Michigan that I'm watching right now, I think Maryland matches up better against Michigan, and if I had to pick the game that I think Maryland's going to win, I think it's against Michigan, honestly. Maryland has played them better than they've played Ohio State in the past, and Michigan's also a smaller team outside of Bo Wagner, who I think is a player that Maryland, with the way they play, could probably get him. Diop is a different animal. What do you think about these two games? I think you guys kind of touched on it, where it's, you know, a split would be fine, I guess. I don't know. I think the the feeling on that would kind of be, you know, indifferent, you know, from from a fan standpoint. You know, a split is fine. Um, and, you know, any anything more than that, which, you know, is, could only be two wins – um, would be outstanding. You know, I think if Maryland were to go on the road and win two conference games against teams that are, you know, probably currently in the tournament, that would be that would be huge. Uh, I don't think that can really be understated, especially you know with the the state of Maryland right now. If, if you want to, you know, put it that way, or the state of the uh, Big Ten, the state of the Big Ten. But yeah, I'm saying you know specifically. You know, with Maryland being shorthanded and and looking for, you know, any kind of backup, you know, big man or backup point guard, even, you know, the only position they've really got depth in, you know, is the is shooting guard and small forward, and that's because you know most of those guys on the team can play both positions. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's definitely interesting, you know, to to see, you know, what'll what'll happen uh you know in these two games i think uh like you said kata bates diop could be a huge uh, a huge factor you know if he really goes off again you know maryland could be in some trouble if 
Maryland's able to contain him. I don't know who will guard him at six that's foot by, seven. That's that's the big question I have is who guards him? I guess yeah. murder. That would be my best guess, but yeah. So I guess my feeling is that at six seven, if you you know you just go off six seven, I say yeah, Herder could probably guard him, but he's two hundred thirty five pounds, which makes me feel like you know Bruno Fernando might be a better person to guard him. Um, but those are completely different defenders. You completely different you know skill sets and areas of the court. So I don't. I really don't know. I don't know how they're going to do that. This is where they're really going to miss Justin Jackson. Yeah, this is the game where Justin Jackson would have been incredibly helpful. Different against Michigan because Kevin Herter can guard Mo Wagner, and Maryland has played better against Michigan in times since they joined the Big Ten, although they have destroyed Ohio State in recent years. Maryland put 100 up against Ohio State a couple years ago, if I remember correctly. Hey, that game was at Xfinity Center. I think I got that right. Did Maryland put up 100 on Ohio State at one point? Yeah, it was 165 in the battle for Dwayne Haskins' soul. Ah, very good. Eh, it didn't go very well, did it? Yeah, Maryland won the game, not Lost the, the war. war. Yep. Eh, what can you say? Well, I think Who? these games are wait, also so, really important. Wait, whose soul? Ah, uh, yeah, I see what you've I don't know. There. I, I, I see what I, you've I, done there. Threw a name in there. That's a weird name. I've never heard that name. That's a good point. Uh, you know what? My apologies for even saying it out loud. Uh, no, no, we could get away with. No, it, I mean, though. I, I'll, I'll do some research, so I might try to find out who he is. I've heard Maryland has players who play like him now at that position in that sport, but we, we have to do research. We'll get back to you next week with an answer on that question. Uh, getting back to the original crux of the subject, Thomas. Before we quickly move on to women's basketball and some football news, because of the state of the Big Ten, which is to say, it's tire fire. Maryland doesn't have many chances to beat teams at or above its level. It goes on the road to Purdue. They don't have much of a chance. They play Michigan State at home. They have a chance against anybody at Xfinity Center because Maryland is always good, and the students will be back by that point. And they play Michigan again at home. But everybody else, Northwestern has injury problems. Minnesota, I, I don't know what the heck's going on there. Indiana is rebuilding. Wisconsin's rebuilding. Nebraska's Nebraskan basketball Maryland doesn't have many chances to get wins that would stand out on a resume at this point. And that's why these games against Ohio State and Michigan on the road are so critical. And that's why making them seem probably more important than they actually are, considering this is still early, middle January. But with the state of the Big Ten, Maryland could easily win 10 or 11 games in the conference and miss the tournament if they're just beating up on the bad teams. Yeah, agreed. Um yeah, Michigan State and Purdue back to back is going to be some. I think. I mean, if I'm, I mean, there's always the thing. Uh, the soccer fan in me is like, punt the Purdue game. It doesn't matter because you're not beating them on the road with no bigs, and just load up on that. I think that's Super Bowl Sunday that game actually against Michigan State. Just load up on no, that that's game. The week, no, that's Pro Bowl Sunday. Oh, that's Pro Bowl Sunday. Okay, thank you for correcting me on that. I'd much rather watch Michigan State, even if they beat Maryland by 30. I'd much rather watch that than the Pro Bowl. Anyway, let's move on. They get Wisconsin at home on Super Bowl Sunday. Even better. Even better. But Wisconsin's bad, too. So that's Both those games are on CBS. I know. The only time Maryland gets on network television. Uh, I guess Fox, even though they had an obsession with Maryland during the football season, decided against it with the better Maryland athletic team. Whatever. I just feel bad for the people that are going to have to watch Maryland-Wisconsin on, like, broadcast television 
us, That's... basically. Well, you'll be at the game. It'll be me. Yeah. Well, the people that like get the people that get like two games a week on on network television, and they Maryland, Wisconsin's one of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be like some Big East game with teams like I don't know Butler and Creighton. That I mean, that would be better on paper, but we'll see. It would see. be better on paper and. Fewer people would watch. Okay, let's get to the women's game, Thomas, shall we? Because uh, uh, speaking of a team that did really well against Iowa, the women did too. I mean, they didn't just beat Iowa, a team that's a ranked team that was a big test for them. They kicked the snot out of them. Yeah, I, I did not expect uh, Maryland to beat Iowa like that because Iowa has um, this, this girl named Megan Gustafson, who is a you know six five center who can do pretty much everything and Maryland doesn't have an answer for that this year, like they've had in the past. And yet, you know, they were able to control that game easily. Um, they were up double digits pretty much the whole time. Um, yeah, no, Maryland's only two losses this year are to South Carolina are still to South Carolina and UConn. It's been, I've been surprised by how well the team has worked. I still don't know what the ceiling is or if they're, like, that good, I guess. But, um, you know, the the game against Iowa, I think, was the most eye-opening performance for me all year. And when you're – you don't often get surprised by watching a Maryland women's team play. You've covered this team for a while. And, again, this is a team that has, what, 10 players? And that's a ranked team that they're playing. And Maryland, they've struggled against decent teams – throughout the year because they've had those depth issues, Eliana Kristinaki just coming back. And then against this first real big test in the Big Ten, they just destroyed them. And I looked at the score and said, wow, I didn't expect Maryland to win by that much. I thought they'd win, but what do you think that says about just this team? Like, this is the tough year in between when Brent DeFries gets a crazy good recruiting class and they can – beat one of the premier teams in the Big Ten and just knock the stuffing out of them. I mean, th this team could still end up making noise in spite of everything that went against them last offseason. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, of the three years, this is her best coaching job because she's taken a team that really didn't have the firepower. But what it has is is this sort of depth, and every single player on the team has a legitimate chance to be the breakout player that night and that's something that's just never been the case with her team because she's always had Super you know a few players who are yeah a few stars um and so you know that has given given a lot of teams fits you know and <laughs> like they had i think four or five players in double figures but no one with more than 14 when they killed wisconsin on that's sunday death by pinprick yeah not many teams could defend that when you could have six or seven players that could score ten on any given night. And I'd have to check. I think like eight or nine of their players have scored in double figures this year. That's crazy. And again, they have ten players. Yep. So I don't. You can know... count. You can if you have all your remaining um, extremities. You can um, count Maryland women's basketball players on on both hands. That's great. You don't even need your toes. Uh, but the – boy, that's a hell of a joke we just made there. Um, anyway, let's think about 
again, they still have to play. They haven't played Michigan yet, have they? Nope. Okay, and so, they have not played Ohio State. Well, who that's the big one. Is, is probably State. still, probably still a horrible matchup for them. But I don't know. At this point, you you could expect anything. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say the same about Michigan too, because Michigan has an as a center of its own and a you know high scoring guard. Um, so that that game will be interesting to see. Ohio State will be interesting. Um, uh, Maryland again. Brenda Freeze can coach. I think we all kind of knew that, but this is one of her best coaching jobs. It's really impressive. So Jared wrote a great piece about where the Maryland coaching staff lies at this point in time. And thank you, Jared, for all that, because my brain was in vacation mode and barely was able to keep an eye on all of the coaching hires as they were made, period. Uh, so there's a new man that has come in from Marshall that has worked with DJ Durkin before. There were initial reports from a lot of different places that he was going to be defensive coordinator, and he ended up just being safeties coach. So what's the dynamic there? Uh, so, yeah, so Chuck Heater um, is Marshall's like, now former defensive coordinator, Maryland safeties coach. Um, he was he's, – he's got a, a track record of – you know, coming in as a defensive coordinator on previously uh, poor scoring defenses um, and, you know, kind of turning them into, you know, some of the best in the country. Uh, he did it at Temple and he did it at Marshall, you know, over the past few seasons. Um, he crossed paths with Durkin in Gainesville. Um for a few years there, they were there at the same time. And I think, you know, that's one of the common themes, you know, I'm sure with coaches all across the country, but, you know, we specifically pay attention to Maryland. Um, that's one of the common themes with, you know, all of Durkin's hires so far is that he seems to have worked with all of them, you know, somewhere before, you know, be it at, at you know, whatever stop along the way, you know, he's always got, you know, a list of guys, it seems that, you know, he's ready to call up and, you know, have come be assistance, you know, whenever a spot opens up or he needs to fill a spot. Um, but, yeah, this guy, Heater, um, it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, he's he's kind of made his money, so to speak, as a defensive coordinator, not as a positions coach. Um, so, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting. My My gut feeling, and I'm actually in the middle of, responding to a comment on you know one of these stories right now um, about it is that I, I I get the feeling that Andy Boo is just kind of still on the staff until he can find another job somewhere else I feel like that's plan a at the moment um, and when and if he exits um, that heater will take over you know defensive coordinator responsibilities. That being said, um, one of the other moves they made official was that linebackers coach Matt Barnes is now the special teams coordinator, which uh, you know theoretically could open up a spot as linebackers coach, even though that he's you know technically still that guy right now. Um, so you could do some reshuffling there, where. 
Barnes, you know, gives up those responsibilities and who gets demoted to linebackers coach. And then you get uh, Chuck Keeter as defensive coordinator. There's a whole lot of options there. Um, you know, if you didn't want to pay whatever Boo's buyout is, getting rid of him this year, because I think he's got another year on his contract. You know, you can keep him on staff, you know, in a lesser role like that. Um, but I don't know. This defense was just almost historically bad. You know, they were just really bad last year, um, which is unfortunate because they had some really talented players on defense. Um, and, you know, I think there's there's great room for improvement. I think the defense kind of – that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think they played below their, their – level. Uh, this past season. And so I think if they could even just play, not even necessarily above, you know, punch above their weight, but kind of, you know, just play to their own talent level, I think they'd be much better. And Maryland probably would have won one or two more games this past year. I could definitely see that. So this leaves me with a couple of other questions. There is an open head coaching vacancy at Arizona. I guess that could be where Andy Boo ends up if I'm speculating. That's just me wildly throwing stuff into the ether. But Pete Lembo, who was almost the head coach at Fordham, if I uh, got that correct, he was the special co- teams coordinator before, and now he's just, what, tight ends coach? I mean, this okay, is where yeah, all so- the moving parts get really confusing, and Maryland still has an opening at running back coach after Anthony Tucker led to uh, go to national champions, uh, Central Florida. <laughs> right, yeah, so it is, it's kind of confusing at the moment, I'm sure, you know, through whatever shuffling or or you know additions or subtractions happen you know it all sort itself out you know it has to um but yeah so basically maryland has two special teams coordinators right now um you know at least publicly um so who knows really what they'll do with lembo if you're gonna have co-special teams coordinators that seems a little extra to me even though you know, Maryland made it a point, you know, Maryland coaches made it a point in, you know, media availability this year to emphasize how much, you know, they, they emphasize special teams. Um, but yeah, having two special teams coordinators seems a little extra. Um, one for each leg of our new kicker who can make 50 yards. Right, yeah, exactly. They get one guy to coordinate his right footed stuff. One guy to coordinate his left footed stuff. That's but no, I mean, see, that's what they're thinking ahead here. It's uh I don't know maybe maybe Lembo Lembo is also I think I don't know if it's associate one of the associate head coaches or whatever I think he has another title also um, yeah I think he's and, like officially the assistant coach yeah something something along those lines it just you know you get paid more as an associate than an assistant or something like yeah, that yeah something like that um, word soup basically at this point yeah um, but you know maybe he doesn't continue to be the special teams coordinator and just kind of does tight ends, which, you know, at a school like Maryland that didn't complete a pass to a tight end this past year, it seems a little odd to have, you know, one guy focus specifically on tight ends, but, you know, maybe that's what they need to complete a pass is a coach, you know, for their own. Um, It is very confusing. We'll see there. You know, I, I don't really know how they'll how they'll figure that out. But yeah, as it stands right now, there are two special teams coordinators, and no each of them coach. does something else on 
you know, each of them also coaches a position group and there isn't one guy who does running backs. So I don't know. We'll fi- they, they'll, they'll figure it out. You would hope so. Yeah, this is this is far from over. Is is all well, we obviously know. there's no way that this is going to end like this. There's more shoes to drop, but just being in this limbo now, it's a weird position to be in because there are so many moving parts. And when you're in the game of musical chairs, you're not really noticing where all of the other people are going into their chairs. You're only kind of noticing, am I going to get into my chair or not? And that's kind of where Maryland is right now. And it's it's bizarre to see some of these moves made and you don't hire somebody like heater unless you're probably making of your defensive coordinator. So there's a lot to say about that. And many people were calling for Andy Boo's head and they might get their wish when all of this dust settles, but there's still an open head coaching vacancy. And I got to believe there are tons of position group vacancies as well across the country somewhere that I'm not paying attention to. Uh, It's not college football season anymore. And I don't really get too much into these coaching searches unless they're Maryland-related. So there's certainly a lot of shoes to drop there. But you hope that DJ Durkin and company have it covered, and they probably do. They also hired James Madison's offensive line coach to replace uh, the one that left for Penn State. And you, someone wrote an article for the site. I forget who it was. This is airline travel getting to you. Uh, about how all Virginia Tech players were raving about him because I believe he coached at Virginia Tech. Obviously, he did at some point. So. Also, Jared. Mm-hmm. Jared? Well, yeah. I'm just deferring to you on these things now. That's okay. Well, I mean, yeah, the thing you referenced was mine anyway. So, but yeah. Um, well, that'd be something. The, uh, Michael, Michael Vick and D'Angelo Hall uh, had tweeted you know, their support of him as, as a coach and – I guess as a man, if you want to, you know, say that, um, that I, I just thought that was kind of noteworthy because, um, you know, that they're, he, he's leaving their school for, you know, uh, a regional rival, you know, if no longer a conference rival. Um, so, you know, and, and I do want to clarify, um, that neither of them were in school when Virginia Tech was in the ACC. Um, it might have seemed like that's what I had meant earlier in that article when I said that. But you know, just the fact that Virginia Tech was ever in the ACC with Maryland um, made them a one-time conference foe. And they played um, them in the future. It just might be in 2027 or something. Yeah, exactly. Well, well they've the, agreed. Yeah, to. A few years from now when like current seventh graders will be in that game. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, he's, he's a great um, offensive line coaching resume. Uh, It seemed like Virginia tech fans weren't all too happy with him as an offensive coordinator. Um, But you know, that's not what he's in college park to do. So, you know, they all seem to like him as a, as an offensive line coach. Um, And, you know, he, obviously did you know a decent enough job at james madison since they won the national championship last year and you know finished runner-up this year uh and the best programs in the fcs yeah exactly i mean they're they're a great program and i think what's what might even be more important is that he is you know supposed to be a fantastic recruiter um i saw one of the local I don't know if it was a local Fox channel or some local, you know, TV news anchor or sports reporter earlier tweeted that, 
with Chris Beatty on staff and Brian Steinspring on staff, Maryland might just own the Hampton Roads area in recruiting, which would be absolutely huge for the future of this program. Um, so, you know, it's it's really interesting in, in college football. You know, I guess what's different than the pros is, you know, there's the aspect of, you know, actually physically coaching and making players better. But there's also the the recruiting aspect of every hire, you know, what do they offer in in recruiting and which is, you know, the lifeblood of any program. So, you know, I think that's, you know, his his recruiting acumen is just as important as you know, his, his coaching skill. Mm -hmm. There's always interesting things when you talk about recruiting, especially with this program that is recruiting at an insanely high level. And we can talk about offensive line and recruiting now because there are a couple of moves on the offensive line that we need to get to, Thomas, in terms of personnel for next season. Duran Gray is going to return for his senior season. That's good news. Any help on the offensive line next year is going to be needed. And Derwin Gray has been a consistent member of the starting lineup for a while, so that's a good sign. And Richard Merritt, who was, I think, the best recruit in DJ Durkin's cobbled together 2016 class, uh, is transferring. He didn't play it down his first two years at Maryland. Normally, offensive linemen redshirt their freshman year, and Merritt just was passed up on the death chart by a bunch of other players, and so he's going to transfer. So a few personnel moves on the offensive line to tie into our earlier discussion. Yeah, I think with Merritt... Um... That's one of those Maryland wants to run up tempo. And I think Merritt is still around 350, 360 pounds. So it was always kind of tougher for him to fit in with that offense. Uh, he did play on special teams. Um, if you remember the play where Maryland had two number 57s on oh, the field yeah. at the same time, he was one of them. Um, oh, that's a and he was, he was the one who kept his number. So anyway, that's his lasting legacy at Maryland, um, is being one of those two number 57s. But he was the one who kept his number. That's um, the It remains to be penalty. seen whether whether Shun Oluwatimi will get 57 back um, next year. So, but, but either way, with potentially all five starters coming back, and um, Maryland had two blue-chip recruits, in 2017 on the offensive line. Um, and they've got two blue chip recruits in 2018 on the offensive line. Um, oh, as well as some, a couple of other prospects that can factor in like this year. So for years, you we've know, been with, talking about a big 10 offensive yeah, line. I th I, this, this is, I a mean, big this strikes me as line. it's, it's starting to become one. Um, you know, the line did struggle at times last year. I think a lot of that's because, quarterback held on to the ball forever um but yeah uh, i mean th this is that move is largely just um you know it part of a natural attrition that will happen um i still don't know exactly where maryland's at with scholarships um i think it's a little easier to see that with derwin gray coming back there was much there was that much less room for merit and there's also Damian Prince, who I don't think has announced his decision yet. So he has not, but I've been, I was under the impression he was more likely to stay than Gray was. Mm. So if maybe then if yeah. Gray is staying, then that would mean should be a fait accompli. But you never know. 
But again, the prospect of Maryland returning all five offensive linemen, that's normally a thing only Wisconsin can pull off in the Big Ten. But Maryland is pulling it off here. And should the quarterback stay healthy? And with a billion running backs, dare I say, we're ending a, a podcast on a football high note? Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the thing. I, I it's a, it's because it's about thing. what could happen. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's one of those that when we're talking about what could happen, you know, there's a lot to be excited about when we're talking about what has happened. It's um, a little less fun. Okay, so, so. Uh, to end, to quote the great Jeremy Clarkson, and on a bombshell, uh, Trevon Diggs was the MVP of the national championship game when he could have gone to Maryland and didn't. Terrell Hall had one of the sacks. Does it balance out, everybody? Did we balance out the positivity and the negativity there? Did I do a good job of that? Yep. Okay. Just just checking. I should also say, if if Maryland – it doesn't matter if it was Maryland or not. If any of my teams lost a game of that magnitude in that way, I think I would probably join a monastery. I'd probably just have to give up for a while. I bet all other sports fans would probably do the same, but poor Georgia. I mean, if you're a Falcons fan and a Georgia fan, and in the span of 12 months you saw your two teams lose championship games in that fashion, uh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. That's all I can say. I'm I'm mostly there with you. I, I would hope so, unless you are really a sadist and enjoy other people's pain. Well, well, see, I root for a bunch of DC sports, like pro sports teams, so I'm like halfway to a monastery already. Well, I don't know how you haven't joined one yet, but because it would keep it would take me away from running a website here. It's true. Mostly. It's true that would happen, regardless of this. Uh, enjoy the men's games this week against Ohio State and Michigan. Very important games. We will be back next week with a podcast, hopefully to talk about a couple of wins and maybe another Bruno Fernando life-taking dunk. I have to say, to end the show, if Bruno Fernando does another life-taking dunk against whoever it is, it's going to become the avatar for the site on Twitter, right? I think it has to be. We will see. We'll talk about that. Especially, yeah, yeah, especially if we get Sung Min on it. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Get him, get him working. If he takes a picture of a Bruno Fernando life-taking dunk, well, that's the avatar for Testudo Times for the rest of time. The, the, re- the beautiful logo that we have is great, but then that will become the new logo of the website. The first one probably could have been anyway, but... Actually, you know, the new logo will be Bruno Fernando dunking the old logo. Oh, actually, yeah. you know what? That's actually really cool. I'm down with that. I wish I had I mean, the we can do that now. skills to edit that. We can do that now. I would like I to think, see it. You heard it here right, so, on the Testudo Times podcast, everybody. We're going to get to go working on that. Thank you so much for listening. As you say, enjoy the games this coming week. Hopefully, Bruno Fernando takes a few more lives in a good way with his ferocious dunking abilities and gets more people to understand that he is amazing and one of the best players to come to Maryland basketball in many years. But, of course, until then, go Terps. Thank you.